The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you have any questions or even a story to share about how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for listening, and we pray that God's Word will enrich your journey today. Good morning, Pathways. You guys doing good? Ready to go? Awesome. My name is Jordan. I'm a pastor down in the Chicagoland area, and I feel like I'm like a regular here now. I've been here about three or four times, and love, love being here with you all. It's kind of a hectic season though, right? We've got getting ready to go back to school. In Chicago, we're actually, we are terrible. We're already in school. Uh, and so my, my little five-year-old had his first week of, pre, of kindergarten this week, which is really it's always really cute, right? You got the little kid with the oversized backpack, and he was, it was adorable. Uh, but he came home from his first day. I was, how was it? He's like, oh, I love school. It was so much fun. It's great. Uh, next morning, though, I'm getting him dressed, getting him ready for school, and I'm like, all right. And he's like, wait, Dad, where are we going? I was like, what? Are you? I'm like, you're going to you're going to school. And he gets these big old eyes. He's like, you mean this is every day? Oh, that kid's got a long road ahead of him. Pray, pray for that kid, man. So I'll be thinking of you guys as you're going back to school. You guys remember back in the day, the Staples commercial? You guys remember that, the easy button? Come on, these were the, these were the commercials used to be good. These were the best commercials. It'd be like some complicated problem. Uh, the, the, you gotta, maybe you got to send the kids back to school. The, the printer breaks, the computer doesn't start, and all you did was... Poof, the problem's fixed. Man, how much money would you pay for a real-life button like that? Wouldn't that be sweet? Yeah, I was a little too excited, but that was cool. But, come on, wouldn't it be sweet? Okay, what about this? What if you had a similar button in your life where every single time you pressed it, everything bad would just go away? That health crisis, gone. That overdue credit card bill, gone. That never-ending pile of laundry, Gone. All right, what about this? What about if instead of just everything bad, what if, what if every single time you press this button, everyone bad around you would just be gone? Now, not like dead gone, you psychopaths. I mean like, I mean like just gone, gone. The, the nagging boss, right? The, the, maybe the, the two involved in-laws. The guy who drives in the fast lane 10 under, gone! Man. All right, you guys better get that excited for Jesus later. I'll tell you what. Wouldn't that be nice, though? All right, now let's, let's just get, what about, what about the really bad people? Okay, maybe you're like, no, I wouldn't do that. But what about the really bad people? If there was a button that would get rid of like, the terrorists and the warmongers and the child predators, and here was the button, would you be the first one up here to come and hit it? So now, before you press it, before you press it, here's why the button seems so tempting in the first place. I think the button seems so tempting because evil in this world, it is really hard to reconcile. It just is. In fact, it's, it's one of the, the hardest things to reconcile. You just, we just see so much of it in our world. We see so much of it in the news. You flip it on, you're like, that's just wrong. 
It's just disturbing. It's just, it's just evil. And especially where it gets really confusing is if you're a Christian. Or maybe you're not a Christian, but you have some semblance of a belief in God. And it gets really confusing because you're like, wait, okay, God, if there's God, if you're loving and you're good, like how, do you, how do you allow all this evil to happen? You've asked yourself, you've asked yourself this before. You've asked yourself, how can evil and a loving God coexist? How do those two work together? And maybe you're smarter than me. Maybe you've read up on it. Maybe you've studied it. Maybe you can theologize your way around this question. But the reality is that when evil or suffering and pain hits on your own home turf, it's a little bit harder than just this theological answer in your heart, isn't it? Like when it hits you home, you're like, man, wait, where's the button? Where's the button? Today, we are going to look at a guy in Scripture that is asking all of the questions that you maybe want to ask God, but maybe you're just a little too afraid to. We're going to go down some uncomfortable paths today, and we're going to go through into this uncomfortable topic because we've got to talk about it. There is a lot of whys that you have. There's a lot of hows that you have. There's a lot of, God, what are you possibly doing kind of questions and kind of doubts that maybe you grew up in a faith and maybe you grew up in a home that said, hey, don't ask those. Don't ask those. Like, those aren't healthy. You just, like, ignore those. And what happens is eventually you get to this place where you're like, whoa, whoa, I gotta, like, I gotta figure this out. I gotta figure this out. I wanna tell you that we're gonna talk about your doubts today in a way that I think is going to bring some healing to maybe some of you who grew up in a home just said, hey, ignore it. We're gonna head into your doubts and we're gonna look at an Old Testament book called Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a minor prophet. There's major prophets in the Old Testament and minor prophets. The minor prophets kind of got an unfortunate name. It doesn't mean that they're lesser. It just means that they were less long-winded. So think of it like the major prophets, they wrote books. The minor prophets, they kind of wrote blogs. And so Habakkuk, he writes this, this little blog. Now, a little context, though. Habakkuk was living in a time where Judah or the people of God were just terrible. They completely rejected God. They're worshiping all these false idols. They actually built these false, these temples to all of these fake pagan gods. I mean, it's a terrible time. And Habakkuk, during his time, a new king immersed. His name was Josiah. He was eight. Yep, eight years old as a king. What were you doing when you were eight? When I was eight, I was watching Inspector Gadget in my Lion King underwear eating Cocoa Puffs. I was no king. I felt like a king, but I was no king. Some of you guys totally forgot about Inspector Gadget. Remember that show? That was awesome. Josiah, though, in in his teenage years, like many of us, he starts to feel this draw towards God, and he decides to pursue God and Really, he completely turns the nation of Judah around. They start worshiping God again. They, they grab the Torah. They start obeying it. The nation does a 180. That's what happens when you have good leadership, right? Good leadership all of a sudden can turn something around, and so these people start following God. Well, one day, things are going great until Josiah, he goes into a battle, and all of a sudden, this arrow comes overhead and <whistles> kills Josiah dead on the spot, Then the next guy who takes over for Josiah is probably one of the worst kings ever. I mean, he takes this great nation that's following God and just plummets them back into idolatry and all into this pagan worship. And Habakkuk, the prophet, is like, 
Come on. You got to be kidding me. We were making some progress. We were doing well. We were worshiping God. And then, God, you let this guy die? Like, two inches to the right, he's alive. That arrow would have went two inches to the left. Your nation is still following you. But now, he's dead, and sin is rampant. And I'm mad. And so Habakkuk, he starts this little blog, this little conversation with God. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to look at verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. This is Habakkuk's complaint. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Habakkuk says, uh, God, you see what's going on? Like, do you see how messed up your people are? are? Why aren't you doing anything? Like, I'm praying, I'm talking to you. And it's just radio silence. Here's Habakkuk's first question, and here's his first out. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Question number one, because I'm sure you've had it. God, why aren't you listening? God, why aren't you listening? Relatable, isn't it? God, I have been praying and praying and praying and praying and nothing. You know what's really confusing? Has, has there ever been a time where you asked God, you prayed to God, and it was kind of like a stupid prayer request, but he answered it? Like maybe you prayed for a parking spot, and then all of a sudden you got the parking spot, and you're like, wow, that was dumb, but cool. Maybe you had a headache, and you prayed for the headache to go away, and then it was like, it was gone. Actually, this is, this is my dumb prayer request that God answered, and it was actually one of my favorite stories. I was a freshman in college, and it was summertime, and I'm like, hey, I want to get... I want to go to California and be a beach bum. Turns out that the, the term beach bum is really just means homeless. And so I experienced that the hard way, moved out to Santa Barbara, was pretty much homeless for a second. Luckily, God worked it out, and I, me and my friend, we actually found this little place to stay. But still, we had no money. I mean, like, we had nothing. We had 30 bucks, and so you, we, do, we did what you did with 30 bucks. You go to the store, you get bread, peanut butter, and Captain Crunch cereal and you make a sandwich out of it. And that's all we ate for, for a good month and a half was peanut butter and Captain Crunch sandwiches. Don't knock it till you try it, all right? Phenomenal. But after a month and a half, I'm sick of it. I can't even look at it anymore. I don't want it. And so I wake up one morning. I'm like, God, I know there's a lot of other problems in the world, but I'm pretty hungry. <laughs> I said, I would love a big, fat, juicy steak. Amen. And then I kind of went on my day. And so I, I, me and my friend, we're downtown Santa Barbara. We're kind of, we're skateboarding around. And all of a sudden, I see this, this really sweet, old, feeble lady with these two, carrying these two giant toaster boxes. And she's just kind of hobbling down the street. I'm like, this lady's about to die. I got to go help her. And so I, we kind of pull off on her skateboard. She's probably really freaked out, like we're going to rob her. I'm like, no, 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 please, we'd love to help you. Can I take these toasters to your car? And she was like, oh my word, you would do that for me? We're like, yeah, of course. She's like, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> she said, we don't do that in California. I said, yep, yeah, that's, that's also why it's California. Um, and I said, no, no, we'd love to help you. And so she's like, well, where are you from? And we kind of tell her our story. And she's like, wow, you guys must be hungry. She said, I want to take you to the nicest steak restaurant in all of Santa Barbara tonight. Come on, that's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Oh, I went and I had the fattest, juiciest steak, best steak I've ever had in my life. And then I started thinking, there's some other prayers that I've prayed that were a little bit more unselfish, right? Like there's prayers that I prayed for sick kids and there's prayers that I prayed just like against evil happening and for, 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 for reconciliation to happen in families and all this stuff. And yet sometimes it, just, it hasn't happened, right? Or, or this is even more confusing. That, that same summer that I'm praying for a steak, actually that same month that I'm praying for a steak, a 21-year-old white supremacist goes into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and shoots it up. Do you remember that big news story? That's the same time I'm praying for a steak. That's a little confusing, isn't it? Like, God, do you care more about the, that steak than you do about all these people suffering and who were just shot down in your church? Like, God, are you listening? Are you there? What are you doing? Come on, if that's not relatable, I don't know what it is. And so God's answer to Habakkuk 2,600 years ago, it's still his answer to us today. That's why God's word, it never goes out of style. Look, look at verse five. This is God speaking. Habakkuk, just look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. Habakkuk says, God, what are you doing? Are you listening? And here's God's answer. I'm answering in ways that you do not see, but will shock you. God says, I'm, I, trust me, I hear you, I see what's going on, I care about what's going on, and I have a plan that's going to blow your freaking mind. One thing I have to often remind myself, it's an elementary principle about God, but I have to remind myself it quite frequently, and it's this, God is smarter than me. You know that? I don't, like, some of you are like, uh, I got a pretty good score on my ACT. I don't care. You're dumb compared to God. God is smarter than you, right? I don't care what study and field you, God is smarter than you, and it's such a good thing. And I, and I all the time, but it's funny, I act like, I act like me, like God's like, okay, maybe a little smarter than me, but like, I, I, got, I got it going on too, right? So I come to God all the time. I'm like, here's my plan, God. I'm going to do A, B, C, and D, and then you're going to come in, and then you're going to do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to be perfect, and thank God, he's like, you know what, Jordan, I love you, but you're an idiot. And if I were to go ahead and do your plan, you'd, you would be embarrassed by the outcome. So this is what I'm actually going to do. I'm going to answer, the, I'm going to answer your prayer the way that you should have prayed if you knew everything that I knew. That's what I'm going to do for you. That's how good God is. Tim Keller, he says it much more profound than I did. He said, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. Isn't that amazing? God is answering your prayers, but just because he's not answering the way that you want, it doesn't mean he's ignoring you. God's still actually blessing you. You're pl praying for something that will curse you and others. You're praying for a snake, and God's like, I'm gonna ignore that, and I'm just gonna give you a present. I'm gonna give you a blessing. God said to Habakkuk, here's the thing, Habakkuk, I hear your prayers, but are you sitting down because my answer is about to shock you. Habakkuk, you know the Babylonians? And Habakkuk uh, was like, uh, of course. You mean the pagan nation that's taking over the known world? The Babylonians, you mean the ones that they go from nation to nation, they capture the king, they put the king in a cage, and then they exhibit all of the kings like a zoo. Yeah, I know the Babylonians. They're terrible. 
God says, well, Habakkuk, they're coming to Judah, and they're going to take you and Judah into exile and slavery for the next 70 years. Come again? Habakkuk, rightfully so, he's struggling with the answer, which brings him his second doubt and his second question. Verse 12. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil, you cannot look at wrong. So why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk says, wait, hold on. Them? Like, you're going to use them. Okay, God, I know I asked for an answer, but can I have a different one? Maybe one that doesn't let me go into slavery? Because I'll go with that one. That one seems a lot better. Come on, how many times have you prayed a prayer? God gives you an answer, and then you're like, God, I'll have a different answer. I'll have plan B. And God goes, no, no, no. This may not be the answer you want, but I promise you it's the answer that you need. Here's really the bigger question that Habakkuk's asking. Question number two, you've asked it. God, how can you allow evil? The evil of Judah, your people, but also the evil of the Babylonians. Like, how can you just sit back and watch it? It's the age-old question. If God, if you're powerful, if you're all-knowing, if you're good, what's going on? Why is there suffering and evil in this world? How would you answer? How would you answer that question? If someone came up to you, let's say you have a friend, say, hey, you know what? I want to believe in God. I want to believe in all this stuff. But how do you reconcile this good God with all this evil? What would you say? There is six potential like philosophical, theological answers for, that the world has for evil and suffering. I want to play a little game. I'm going to tell you these six options, and then I'm going to let you choose your favorite, all right? Here's number one, the way to deal with evil and suffering. Some people say, well, the, there is no God. This is atheism. The way to, evil and suffering, the way to handle it is you just kind of bite your tongue and just kind of move through it. There's no one above this. There's no one coming to rescue. This is all we got. You're on your own. Good luck. Here's another one. Some people say, no, I, I think there's a God, but God's not all powerful. This is called finite Godism. Finite God, you're, you're good. You know what's happening, but you're, you're not necessarily strong enough to do something about it. In fact, there's actually Christian denominations who believe this. They say that all of the, all of the evil in the world, there, it's just like a battle and it's really dependent on how much you pray. And if you pray enough to God, then maybe God can win. And if you don't, then sometimes Satan and demons can win. I want you to know, massive heresy. That's massive heresy. God doesn't lose. He never lo God doesn't lose a battle. God doesn't lose a war. God doesn't lose rock, paper, scissors for all that I know. Like, he doesn't lose. Number three. Some people say, okay, God's powerful, but God's not all-knowing. This is called open theism, another heresy. People say God is good, right? But God's powerful, but he doesn't know the future. He's in this real time with us, kind of letting things just play out, and he can't do anything about the future because he really doesn't know what's coming in the future. Number four, some people say, well, God is just not all good. This is pantheism. This is avatar theology. You know that movie, the little blue, the little blue guys? This is the yin and the yang. God is good, and he's evil, and it all just kind of balances out. Another one is some people say, well, there actually is no suffering in evil. This is Buddhism. It may feel like 
there's suffering and pain, but it's really not. Pain and suffering, they're just an illusion, and you need to just suppress it. In fact, the whole goal is to just continue to suppress it until you feel like, hey, there is no, there is, there is no suffering and evil. All right, raise your hands. Uh, anyone like any of those options? One to five, anyone want those? Good, me either. Thankfully, there's another option, the Christian option, which says, God is not done yet. Live by faith. God is not done. You guys just feel bad because you clapped about the easy button, and now you're clapping about Jesus. Good job. I'm proud of you. All right, look at Habakkuk. This is exactly what God says to Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 3. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. God says, if my promise, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will take place. It will not be delayed. And here's verse four. The righteous shall live by his faith. God's answer is I'm not done yet. Live by faith. Faith, what's faith? Some people think it's this big ethereal thing. Faith is trust. God, I'm going to live by trusting you and, and I know and knowing that you know what you're doing. All right, here, here's what we do know about good and evil and God's sovereignty over it. And this is important. Hopefully you guys are taking some notes for this. Number one, we know that God is only good and he does not ordain evil. This is important. God, 100% good. Some of you, you think, you look at some of the evil things that have happened to you in your past. God wants you to know he was not the author of that. God wasn't just making that happen in your life so, so for, for, for to produce an outcome, like God is not the author of evil ever. The Bible says that God doesn't even tempt you to sin. No one can blame God for the evil in other people or in the world or in ourselves. That's on us. But here's what we do know. In God's sovereignty, which means his over, his, the fact that he's over it all, we do, we do know that God allows evil. God has chosen to create a real world in which real choices have real consequences. He has created us with free will. You're not robots. You're free. You can choose to follow and listen and trust and love God, or you can choose evil. And as you choose evil, it affects others. Now, here's the good news. God always overcomes evil, and he uses it for good. There is nothing too bad. There's nothing too out of control. There's nothing too out there that God goes, man, I can't do anything about that. No, no, no. Every single ounce of pain and suffering, God says, okay, this is how good I am. I'm going to take this. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to take this terrible, awful suffering, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to bring good out of it every single time. Case in point, Israel, before going into Babylon, for the last 2,500 years, they were constantly falling back into idolatry. Every single time. Maybe they had a good generation. Maybe they had a good king. But surely enough, they would, they would fall right back into worshiping idols. But this time, God says, okay, I'm going to send some loving discipline. I'm going to send you into, into Babylon for 70 years. And then when God brings his people out of captivity, from that point forward, this is crazy. We have no records of them ever worshiping false gods again. See, God, while it seemed harsh, where God's like, well, 70 years, this is terrible, this is unfair, this is my parents' fault, whatever it is. God, you're, you seem silent, what's going on? God was saying, hey, I'm doing surgery on my people, and it has to happen for your good. And Habakkuk, once he started to take it in, 
he started to understand this and he started to remember, okay, God, this is who you are and, and you're working all things out for the good of hope, those who love you and I believe all that. And so Habakkuk, what he does is he, he I'm serious, Habakkuk's three chapters. The first two, he's complaining. The third chapter, Habakkuk takes out his guitar and he probably borrows one of Nathan's cool little hats and he just starts to sing. I thank God for saving me, for hearing me. I know what you're thinking at this point. Some of you are like, why is he the guest preacher? He should be the guest worship leader, right? That was pretty good. Thank you. I was really nervous about that, but I felt good. I felt good. But it's great. I mean, look, read Habakkuk 3. It is one giant worship song where he's just like, God, I trust you. And it's crazy. He goes from, God, how? God, why? God, where are you? To, all right, I'm yours. I trust you. Habakkuk said, look at this. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there's no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my, my, my salvation. Translation, though the bank account reads zero, though the chronic pain continues, Though you lost the job, though they can't find a heartbeat, though life around you is falling apart, I know one thing. God, you're in control. And I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. I love it. It's unbelievable. Habakkuk goes from this immense doubt. He's freaking out. God, what are you doing? He goes from this immense doubt to this Heartfelt dependence upon God. He goes from, conf from confusion to this confidence, I know you're working. He goes from, from worry, anxiety, to full-out worship. How do you get there? Come on, in a, in a room this size, I know you got your doubts. That's all right. I know you got your hows and your whys. How do you go from, God, what are you doing, to God, I trust what you're doing? So we're going to end with five points. Maybe jot, take a phone out and jot some of these down. Here's what to do with your whys and your hows. Now, here's what Habakkuk did. Number one, bring them to God. Bring them to God. Let me comfort you. Your doubts are not bad. Your doubts do not mean that you do not love God. Your doubts do not mean that you do not have faith. You know what your doubts mean? Your doubts means that you're taking your faith seriously. That's what it means. It means that you're just making sure that you're on the right path. One of the most interesting books in the Bible, it's the book of Job. If you've read it, it's, it's a wild story. Basically, God decides, I'm just going to take everything from this man named Job. I'm going to take his health, I'm going to take his wealth, I'm going to take his kids, but I'm going to leave his nagging wife. I'm just going to create hell for this guy, basically, right? And I want to see what Job does. I want to show Job that even if I don't bless him with, with physical things, I want him to see that man's spiritual blessing out, out surpasses it all. And it's, and it's really interesting, though. The, the book of Job, Job's just complaining for most of it. It's kind of like Habakkuk. Job's just like, God, why are you doing this to me? God, how can you do this? He's complaining. He's got his doubts. No, no doubt, he's angry. Rightfully so, probably. He's frustrated. God, what, did you, what are you doing? I'm following you. But at the very end of the book, what's really interesting is God looks at Job and says, yep, that's my righteous servant. That's my righteous servant. Why? Well, because the whole time, Job never stopped praying. The whole time, Job never stopped taking his doubts directly to God. If you're married, 
one of the worst things about being, about being married is when your spouse is mad at you, but they don't tell you. Isn't that annoying? Like, they don't tell you. They just kind of walk around the house a little bit louder, right? Maybe they close cabinets a little bit. They're not making eye contact with you. Well, come on. Have you ever, have you ever sent a text to your spouse and you just get K, the letter K? Like, you're that mad? You can't even say, okay, it's just K? That's how I know my wife's really mad. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Just tell me. What are you mad about? I can handle whatever you're about to say. Like, I can handle you being mad and frustrated. What I can't handle is you not telling me, because all that does is create distance and bitterness, doesn't it? It's the same thing with God. God God can handle your doubts, okay? God can handle your questions. He can even handle your anger. He can handle it. What he doesn't want is for you to go and take your doubts and your questions and your anger outside of God and outside of the church and outside of your Christian community, because that's going to create distance. God says, bring it to me, and we will work through it together. The most, man, the most important thing for you, bring those doubts and those questions to God. Here's the second thing you do. Here's the second thing you do, is you wait patiently for answers. Our faith's a bit of a waiting game, isn't it? Waiting was part of God's answer to Habakkuk. God said in, in chapter two, verse three, Habakkuk, if my promise, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It's gonna happen, but you gotta wait. Is it just me or does God kind of seem slow? Like, especially in 2023, like this is this is we're all about speed and convenience. We got 5G internet. I don't even know what that means, but it's fast. We got Amazon Prime two-day shipping. That's amazing. We have microwaves, those are pretty cool. I can if I want a McDonald's cheeseburger, I can Uber eat it here by the end of the service. This is amazing. I'm like, God, get with the times. You're a little slow. And God goes, whoa, I'm not slow, I'm patient. I'm not slow, I'm patient. In fact, Peter, one of these guys who would follow Jesus around for years and years, Peter said this in his book. He said, the Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. Take our, take our little easy button here again. I think I hit it so hard I broke it. All right, that was easy. Okay. <laughs> take this easy button. Imagine again if you had this button in your hand and you had it at your moment, you could get rid of all of the evil in the world when you press it. Now, before you press it, before you press it, here's one thing I know. I know that I wouldn't want you to be the one holding the button. Because if you were to get rid of all of the evil around you, I know that I've contributed to some of that evil. And here's my guess. I don't think you would want me to be the one holding the button. Because you know in your heart of hearts that you've contributed to some of the evil in the world. And if there's a really good reason for us not to hit this button, don't you think? Don't you think there's a really good reason for God not to hit this button? Christians have always believed that you and I are that reason. You and I are the reason that God is waiting. He's waiting for us to turn to him, and he's being patient for our sake. When it comes to your questions and the evil and the suffering, it's the same thing. Be patient. Wait. God is working through it. Here's number three. What to do with your doubts and your questions. You gotta fall back on what you do know. 
You gotta fall back on what you do know. Habakkuk's struggling, and even in his question, as he's struggling, he's recalling to his mind who his God actually is. Habakkuk 2.12. Habakkuk says, oh Lord, my God, okay, I know this about you, you're my holy one, you're eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out, oh Lord, our rock. You see what he's doing? He's reminding himself what he knows to be true about God. God, this is who you are. You're eternal. You're my rock. You, you decided to have these people. You said you wouldn't destroy us. We're your people. So I know that you're doing something. He's recalling all of the promises of God. Sometimes all you have to fall back on are the promises of God. Sometimes all you have to fall back on is who God actually is. I actually have a little notebook that I keep in my office, and uh, I, I've titled it, a lifelong look at the goodness and faithfulness of God. A little bit of a wordy title, I'm working on it. But for the last 10 years, for the last 10 years, I have just jot down all the different ways that God has been faithful over the years. And what happens is there are times when God doesn't look very good to me. There are times where God doesn't look very faithful. There's times when I'm like, God, what are you doing? Are you there? Can you hear me? What's going on? This is a mess. And what I do in those moments is I get to pull out this little book, and I get to start to thumb through it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. God, I totally forgot what you did in 2010. God, I totally forgot. I prayed for that for seven years. God, look at how you came through with my amazing wife who loves you. God, look, look, at, look at the house that you provided. Well, when we were praying, we decided to pray all, all what we were trying to figure out what we're doing with Christian schooling and public with our kids. We're, we're a little nervous about it. And so we just said, let's just pray about it all week. At the very end of the week, God, I remember when, when that guy came up to us at church and said, hey, I just feel led to, to, to pay and send your kids to a Christian school. Like, What? Oh, my word, I totally forgot about that steak. That was awesome, right? Like, it's these, I hope you do this. I hope you have, and if you haven't written it down, I hope you do. But at least I hope you have these memories in your mind and in your heart so what, that when the, when the world does look like it's caving in, you can say, wait, God has always been faithful. Why would he stop now? Like, God has shown up for me over and over and over, and suddenly now he's just gonna drop me? Now he has been faithful and he always has been, and he always will be. That's the beauty of who our God is. Fall back on what you know. He is faithful. Here's the fourth thing. You gotta trust him no matter what. You have to verbalize this trust and this commitment to God. When I got married, like many of you, I put this, this ring on my finger, and I made a vow to my wife. And this vow to my wife, Lindsay, I didn't say, you know what, Lindsay? I vow to love you so long as you keep your beautiful figure. That wouldn't have gone well. <laughs> Lindsay, I vow to love you as long as you got some money in the bank that you provide. Lindsay, I vow to love you so long as you're keeping up your side of the bargain here in the deal. Those would be some very unromantic vows, would they not been? When I stood before that altar, me and Lindsay vowed, hey, we are going to love each other in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, for better or for worse, we're doing it together. The Christian life is a lot like that. The Christian life, it is this lifelong commitment that you make to God, not just when things are going great, not just when you're on the mountaintops, but as Adam preached last week, even in the valleys. It's saying, you know what, God, even if the floor is falling out from under me, I'm here. 
I vowed to you. I'm committed to you because I know who you are. Every anniversary, my wife and I, we do this. We, we bring out our vows again, and we, we say our vows to each other every anniversary. And I'll tell you what, some of those years, we have said those vows through our teeth. Some of those years, it was a lot easier to say those vows than others. But you want to know the years that were really hard to say, those were the most important years for us to say it. Because it wasn't about how we felt, it was about the commitment and the, and, and the commitment and the vow we made to one another. And you need that. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to verbalize this commitment. God, I, I will trust you in the valley. And if you don't, you're going to fall away. When was the last time that you verbalized your trust to God? God, for sickness and in health, rich or poor, for better or for worse, I'm all in. I trust you. Here's the last thing. What to do when you're doubting, what to do when you're questioning. You gotta worship through it. You gotta worship through it. You gotta grab that guitar just like Habakkuk did and you gotta worship through it. What's really funny though is Habakkuk's worship song, it's funny because he didn't get a new answer from God. Like God didn't change his, his answer. As far as Habakkuk knows, Habakkuk's still going into slavery. He's still going into captivity. But somehow he worships. Why? Because he has an answer from God. Because he has an answer from the God that says, trust me. You and I have a far greater advantage than Habakkuk did. Habakkuk got an answer. You want to know what you and I have? You and I, we have an example. We have a 4K picture. We have something called the cross. Jesus in his disciples, as Jesus' disciples were watching Jesus be arrested and beat and crucified, they were doubting. They're freaking out. They're like, wait, why, God, why would we follow this guy? Why, if you really are God, like, why, how could you just die? How could you leave us? I mean, all of this doubt, all of this stuff happening. I mean, talk about evil. This was the most brutal evil you could possibly imagine. This is the pinnacle of evil. God Almighty hanging as a bloody corpse on a cross. The, the epitome of evil. But here's what we now know. We know that the most depraved moment of human history was the moment that would bring forth the biggest blessing to human history. When Jesus came out of the tomb, it was a message to every single how and every single why and every single what are you doing. It was Jesus' exclamation mark that he's not done. Live by faith. I'm not an idiot. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. You will have those whys. You will have those questions. You will have those doubts. And when you do, look to that 4K image of the cross and, and hear God speak to you saying, I'm not done. I can take the most worst thing that's ever happened and bring beauty out of it. Why don't you think I can do that with your situation too? My wife, she sent me uh, last week, she sent me this little video. It's an old video of, of my son Brixton a couple years ago. He was napping in his car seat, and all of a sudden, he kind of just woke up, and he's like, oh, cool, I'm in the car. And he, he, starts, he starts, like, freaking out, realizing that he's going somewhere. And we, my wife took a little video of it, and so she sent it to me. Uh, watch this. We almost got here! We almost Do you even know where we're going? No. Where are we going? <laughs> No? Where are we going? Where are we going? Why are you freaking out? Why are you so excited? 
I love this. I think this video is one of the most perfect pictures of what the Christian life's supposed to be like. Joyful. There's, there's too many sad Christians that sometimes I just want to slap and be like, bro, like I know you're going through it, but like this is kind of the point that it's going to get better. Like God's doing something. That's why like you can worship with tears in your eyes. That's why you can lift your hands with tears in your The world can crumble around you and you can still say, God, I, I know that you're the God of my salvation and that you're taking me somewhere better. Where? I don't know. When? I don't know. How? Why? I, I don't know. You want to know what I do know? I do know that dad is driving. And if dad is driving, he's taking you somewhere better. Now, the road might be a little bumpier, and the road might be a little scarier, but dad's driving. And if dad is driving, he is taking you somewhere awesome. There is one thing that has connected believers for ever since the conception of Christianity. I mean, the early Christians being thrown into the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. You had early Christians being recorded of going to their own crucifixions, singing hymns. You have modern day Christians being beheaded in ISIS and there's one single strand that connects them all and the reason that they're able to go all the way to following Jesus to their death is because they believe that Jesus is taking them somewhere better. Man, I'm telling you, yes, yes, heaven. And yes, don't ever downplay it. It's gonna be amazing. Have that in your sights. But also, right now, on this earth, believe that God is taking you somewhere better and surgery might be required. Suffering might be required, but ultimately, he came out of that tomb. He came out of death, and he brought life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're driving. Thank you that you are an awesome father who is driving us and taking us somewhere better. We made the mess. You didn't make it. We made this evil. We made this mess. And you could have said, hey, that was your guys' choice. Deal with it. But instead, you said, no, no, no. I will deal with it on your behalf. I will be the solution. And so, God, we trust you. Even when we, even when we feel like our world is flipped upside down, even when we're in the valleys, even when we're walking through it, we trust you. And we need to verbalize that. In fact, some of you right now in this moment, you need to verbalize it. Think about it. When was the last time that you said, Jesus, I trust you. I am all in. In sickness and in health. Richer or poor. For better or for worse. When was the last time that you verbalized that commitment in your heart? And some of you are like, I've never done that. I've always been a little nervous. I've always had these doubts and whys and I just don't know how to handle them. But that's how you do it. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity right now and make a commitment. Not to me. This is a commitment to God that says, I I'm here. I am not going anywhere. I am vowing to be committed to you because I know that you're committed to me. If that's you and you want to do that and you want to have this relationship with God, can I just see some hands? A commitment to God that's saying, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. Awesome. I see hands. Okay, and this is to you and God. Let's pray together as a church. Father, we know that you're good. We know that you're for us, no matter the doubts, no matter the questions that come, because of your resurrected son, we will trust you 
forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on. Amen. Hey. He's working. He's fighting.